Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later. By the end of the first act... Uh... The stage is trashed. Uh, <laughs> it is a complete mess. Uh, and the interval is basically someone just sweeping up the stage and cleaning it. Uh. Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. 
Hello, friends and fans, and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I'm your host, Helen Gould, one of the best Rusty Quillers, and today we're talking about opera. And I am delighted to be joined by Anil, Katie and Lowry. Anil, can you give us your pronouns and tell us what you do? Hi, I'm Anil Gudigamur, he, him, and I am Rusty Quill's Chief Compliance Officer. Katie, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hi, I'm she, her, and I was the producer of this podcast that was called Stella Firma. Recently started a new role making content for all our lovely Patreons, which I'm very excited about. Aw, you're very good at it. I'm enjoying all the stuff you're putting out. Lowry, <laughs> <laughs> my darling. <laughs> Please introduce yourself, give us your pronouns and tell us what you do. Hello, Lori, she, her, and I produce Enthusiasm. I also edit for Rusty Quill Gaming. And I said that with a question at the end because I was like, is it still going on when this comes out? I think it probably is. It will be. It will be. Yeah. Mm. And I'm actually getting very emotional as we get closer to the end. (laughs) Oh, yes, of course. I'm editing episode 216 right now, just for context. And it's a lot. (laughs) Oh. It's a lot. Well, anyway. F for you, (laughs) (laughs) Lorraine. All right. So we're going to start with what is becoming quite a typical question, which is how did each of you get into opera? Because it is kind of famously a reasonably exclusive interest. So what happened? Someone tell me your journey. I was into opera from a very young age because several of my family are opera singers. <gasps> what? And I mean, amateur opera singers, but like singing is, a, you know, the stereotype of the Welsh singer is there for a reason. Yeah, I can totally verify. My husband is from Wales. It is true. We love to sing. <laughs> Any excuse to burst into song. Yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> I expect yeah. I will be singing on this episode and I am not the opera singer amongst the four of us. So sorry, everyone. Yeah, and my my gran was an opera singer. Lots of my uncles and aunts are opera singers. Always in choirs. My mum sings. So there were loads of opera records Mm. and videos around the house that I grew up in and I just used to listen to them like and sing along and dance to them in the middle room when I was little and go to rehearsals and things like that that's super cool so yeah so did you get drawn into any of these rehearsals oh absolutely oh excellent I did years and years of amateur operatics with my mother oh and it wasn't full opera we did a lot of operettas and musicals okay yeah so I've never gone into opera singer I would be more of a musical kind of singer but yeah it's I love it Aww. Anil, how about you? So I, I suspect I'm coming at this from like completely different from Lori and Katie because I don't come from a musical family. Like music is not a big thing for my immediate family. Like my grandmother apparently was a piano teacher and oh. taught piano and singing. But because she lived in Sri Lanka, none of that really came around for me and my sister. My sister played the flute a bit, but bit of a digression how i got into it was my mother is a nurse uh, Mm -hmm. and for a long while and i don't know if this scheme is still running uh, a lot of the london theater houses uh, and opera halls uh, if they had spare tickets uh, for shows Mm. they would put a 
an allocation of these tickets into a pool, which London's first responders and care professionals could access, sir. Oh, oh, that's cool. So if you were available on short notice, sir, you might be able to pick up like stalls or circle seats at a vastly reduced rate because just so that they would have people filling the seats, sir. My mum was a nurse. She got access to this pool and I was the only one in the family who had any interest in going to see theatrical performances and things like that. And then one day she said, oh, I have tickets for an opera or I can have get access to an opera at the English National Opera at the Coliseum. Uh, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll I'll go along. Because primarily up to that point, it had been like RSC productions, uh, mm. the National and so forth. RSC is Royal Shakespeare Company, right? Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah, I got to see a lot of Shakespeare that way. Uh, cool. Amazing. And so, yeah, I went along to the English National Opera. I can't exactly remember which show it was, but it was definitely, I enjoyed this enough that if you get more opera tickets, I will quite happily go along. Uh, mm. Wow. So was that like a little tradition that you had? Yeah. So whenever my mum could go along with me or if oh, sometimes it was just I would go on my own. Uh, mm. And it's really weird because while I have issues like going to the cinema or something on my own, uh, mm. I am very happy to go to the theatre on my own uh, mm. and go and see a musical production or a musical because partly because I know that I have very few close friends as well who would be available on short notice to go and see it uh. mm, so yeah. often it's like if i wanted to it would have to be on my own uh. mm-hmm. but i really enjoy like sitting there in the in the vast hall uh, mm. enjoying this music that's reverberating around you that is just so grand uh. mm. yeah yeah i know what you mean i go to the cinema often on my own and also to the theater when, when there's something i want to see very much so yeah I remember seeing Hamilton and I was just in bits, like for the entire last 15 minutes. Because the fact that it's live, and of course you get this with films as well, but like with theatre particularly, you can't pause it and there's like an immediacy to it yeah. mm. that you don't mm. get with, with movies, especially when people are singing. Yeah, and I'm also so invested because I'm like, oh, that's so difficult to sing. I really hope that you can keep that up. And they always do. They always do. <laughs> I just, I think there's a physicality about when you're in the same room as the people, because it's, mm. it's actually, people have to use their whole body to make these sounds. Yes. And somehow when you're in the room, you can tell, and that's part of the thrill of it. Yes. You know, obviously the wonderful systems they have for the sound in the cinemas are incredible in a different way. So you get the huge impact, mm. but it's not got that sort of human effort behind it that you can actually feel. Mm. Yeah. Well, Cynthia, having a chat, can you tell us how you got into opera then, Katie? All right. (laughs) It was quite the journey. (laughs) Oh, good. So as a kid, when I was growing up, my parents were not into that sort of thing at all. Like you said, Mm -hmm. they, you know, the perception of it being a bit elite really put them off. Mm. And they would say so quite openly to me and everything. But I would have been about nine or ten. And a couple of things happened. First of all, I had a friend at school. Her parents were separated and her dad was a merchant banker and so he was really well off and he used to take her for weekends in London where he lived. They used to get complimentary tickets to Covent Garden and she invited me along one day for the weekend with her dad to go and see this opera. Mm. And I remember really clearly it was Hansel and Gretel and I remember everything about it. Like the production was trying to bring out... (laughs) I think they thought I didn't understand because I was only nine. Mm -hmm. But it was clearly the director was trying to sort of look at 
domestic abuse and that sort of thing, because all the way through the rich scene, dad was just sitting there reading the paper in the corner and all, the, and all of these little details just oh. vividly remember. But the thing I remember the most about it was just the atmosphere. I mean, it was just mm. the magic of it, you know, because these were complimentary business tickets. It was something like fifth row of the stores in the middle I mean it wasn't wow. you know like yeah. I didn't realize at the time but it would have cost about 200 quid for this ticket you know <laughs> that was sitting in age nine like clueless but it's just everything like from the sound of the orchestra tuning up mm. and how it sounds in that big room and just kind of the magic of the lights going off and everything I just it was just amazing and just the whole thing of being in London and being bought dinner afterwards really late at night mm. one day and I can't remember how it happened I discovered my upper register Ah. And I'm like, I'm quite a stocky build and I've got like a really fat head. I've got wide cheekbones. And it turns out that like this was a really strong part of my voice. Mm. And I remember they used to like opera. So I started getting the train into London and going to E&O and watching them either by myself or with my sister. And by then my mum was starting to sort of relax on the whole thing and she was getting into it too. So I got my mum too. Mm. I started to try to sing like that myself and it felt incredible. And so I went to this masterclass singing near where I lived and sung like completely inappropriate repertoire for someone my age. It was Pamina Zara from the Magic Flute. But the guy who was running the masterclass was a chorus member in English National Opera. Mm. Oh, that's the ENO. ENO, yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he said, you've got loads of potential. Would you like to start coming down with me? And just sort of observing rehearsals and meeting singers and that sort of thing. Oh my gosh, amazing. That's, I, I never knew that. That's so cool. Yeah. So I did that like for a few years. He was fantastic. Uh, I got to go to dress rehearsals, which was really good because obviously it was free performance. But also wow. I got to go to pre-dress rehearsals, which was even better because mm. you could see them getting the direction and talking about it and all that sort of thing. And it was just incredible. Mm. You'd go backstage and you'd go into the canteen with the stuff and you'd walk in there be this kind of wall of... <laughs> You know, because everyone was talking like an opera singer. <laughs> and yeah, then I went up to uni and I studied music. And I, by then, singing was my first instrument. Mm. So I started, I was having lessons. And my plan by then, I met a bunch of people who were also into opera and just that stuff in general. And my plan had been going to do postgrad in singing and actually try to get into singing myself. Mm. And I got as far as the auditions and they said... Loads of potential, but you're a bit rough and ready. You know, you haven't got a good technique. You've not obviously not sort of been brought up in this. Go have some more lessons, come back next year. Mm-hmm. Having about the confidence of a, well, no confidence at all. Oh. I heard, you're rubbish, go away. Oh, and no. by that time, I'd been on an aeroplane and I was getting obsessed with that. <laughs> so I went off and became a pilot instead. What? <laughs> wow, what? You, you're a, you're a pilot. You can fly a oh, plane. Did you know that? I didn't know you didn't no, know I that. I'm no idea, No, I. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I remain into it, and I feel like after I'd had my children, I, I got into creative music, which is probably where I'm supposed to be. And mm. I was realizing as I was thinking ahead of this episode, and I'm sorry that, that this is my life story, by the way. No, this is so fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing this. No, it's fascinating. Oh, it's a very good one. <laughs> okay. I realised that that early exposure to to the big, grand, colourful, emotional opera, and I love everything that's colourful and emotional and big and makes you think mm. and makes you feel, you know, and that has really influenced me a lot. And whatever genre I'm writing in, and because I've always been to, into all music, I, I tend to be quite eclectic in my listen, mm. but whatever genre I'm writing in, I realise that that influence is there. Mm. Yeah, Some of the stuff I listened to at an early age, you know, I remember when I went to see um, Turandot for the first time and the first act with the chorus just blasting away, you know, and I might be writing, you know, electronic music or whatever, but that 
ambition, I guess, mm. of kind of what you're trying to do remains. And I have to say, it tends to be what the clients really love as well. Mm. And they don't even know it's that influence from opera that they're loving. But I think it is. <laughs> yeah. So I always say I've done loads of things, but I've never had a career. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an incredible story, though, Katie. Yeah. I realised about, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago that what my taste in music is, because it's also eclectic, what my taste in music is, is I needed to just be big, sweeping and romantic and mm. epic. Yeah. So that's opera all over, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, I need, and, and, I, and as you were speaking then, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's why, because mm. from a very young age... That's what I was listening to, like mm. these epic, as you said, like wall of sound sometimes mm. and these all these harmonies and just like sweeping romance. And yeah, I always like musicals. I mean, I'm that kind of stereotypical gay. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, I mean, it is, it is a stereotype and I'm quite happy. <laughs> I'm quite happy to own that. Uh, yeah. But like you don't often see that transcend to opera because, mm. as Katie said, there are elitism issues or at least perceptions. Uh, and particularly when you are non-white, uh, mm. yeah. you, you also will not really see non-white performers. Uh, mm. yeah. I don't think any of the productions I saw as a teen or in my early 20s had a non-white lead. Uh, yeah, it's really rare in general in theatre too. Yeah, It hasn't changed no. very much now. I think the last thing I went to see was the same. Exactly. That said, some of my favourite opera singers are not white. So Excellent. <laughs> yeah. I should get recommendations, like, or if you have recommendations, I'd really be interested because I haven't seen opera or haven't been to the theatre in a very long time. Uh, mm. So I would like to know what's... Like, what's good? Uh, <laughs> and even of, like, past recordings, what is good? Uh, mm. Yeah. You have very, very handily moved me on to the next question, Aha. <laughs> which is indeed, <laughs> what makes a good opera? What is the difference between that is an opera and that is an opera? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm. I've, got, I've got a hot take straight off the bat. Ooh! Don't listen to it in your own language. (laughs) Because the lyrics are bloody crap and it just spoils the whole thing. (laughs) You just want to let that music wash over you and just feel the emotion from the sounds because the lyrics are just... No. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they're not not the focus, which is valid in a way. You know, it's not the focus. Which is is weird, at least for me, because I really like... Like, I really like being able to understand and listen to the lyrics, but I fully get that point mm. because some of the best stuff I have watched has been foreign language. Uh, yeah. And the same goes for, like, my general taste in, like, pop music, particularly, like, Eurovision. Uh, ah, yes. Like, I am much more fond of songs sung in other languages than I am often in, in English. Uh. <laughs> I've seen Traviata a few times. Mm. The first time I saw it, I saw it in Italian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and oh my god I loved it it moved me so much and then I saw it in English or maybe it was just with English surtitles and I was like are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> you've just met and you're in love no <laughs> this is ridiculous <laughs> Katie I think you said you had an exception well yeah I, I agree with you in general one of the exceptions I would say is when you have an English language opera written um, taken from Shakespeare Ooh. Ooh. One of my favourites is Benjamin Britten's Midsummer Night's Dream 
for example. Oh, oh that's very cool. Yeah. I guess that's where the native language is English. Yeah. Mm. It works, uh, mm. as opposed to where it has been translated. Uh. So the issue is the translation. I mean, maybe some of the problem with this is some of the plots are absurd, you know. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's opera. It's like, yeah. like, I, I would say that that's kind of one of the hallmarks, or at least of classical opera. Yeah. Mm. One of the hallmarks is that the storyline is absurd. Uh, mm. Like, you have got these grand narratives playing out. Uh, mm. This is not something I have studied in depth, but unless I am mistaken... Uh, it's only modern operas, like late 19th century, 20th century, that you start to get like a condensing of plots, like they are more focused on like issues of now and like more contemporary matters. Whereas your traditional opera is very grand, it's very soaring, often drawing on mythological mm-hmm. folktale narratives for their story base, or at least fantastical things like the magic flute or something like that. So it's that grand absurdity, which is one of the draws for me and what makes a really good opera. (laughs) But the other thing, which is, is just the theatricality of the production. Mm -hmm. Because I came to opera from enjoying theatre... Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really like it when the theatricality matches the music. Mm -hmm. I've seen operatic productions where the focus is on the music because you are focusing on like the singers, uh, but they forget some of the theatricality or the theatricality has come second or third uh, Mm. down. And this particularly comes where there's choreographed bits, like where there is dancing. uh, Mm -hmm. And I often find that if there are dance segments in a opera, they have been given short shrift because the focus is obviously on the singing. Uh, so, like, for me, all of that needs to gel well to, like, mm. elevate it from a good opera to a great opera, mm. even more so than, like, understanding what it's necessarily about, because a lot of that comes through anyway. Uh, mm. So one of the things for me that really cemented a, like an opera was particularly, like, modern tellings or, like, updatings of traditional opera (laughs) so like as i say i don't exactly remember what the first opera i saw in a theater was uh, Mm. but probably the second or third was a production of don giovanni Mm -hmm. at the english national opera yeah and this one started with a blank stage Mm -hmm. the back of the stage a screen elevates uh, a car drives on to the stage. Uh, oh, I've seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suspected you, you might have. Uh, yeah. The car starts bouncing up and down yeah. because obviously there are people in the back seat. Uh, and then a man runs on from the wings with a baseball bat and <gasps> smashes in the front, the windscreen of the car. Glass goes everywhere across the stage. He pulls open the back uh, the back seat door, drags out Giovanni and Anna, <gasps> Don Anna, his daughter. Because I mean, the story of Don Giovanni is that Giovanni is a is a womanizer, and uh-huh. the play is all about how he gets his just desserts. Uh, oh, yeah, he's been having it away with Don Anna, and her father is upset. And there's but while all of this is going on, there's just like broken glass strewn across the stage uh-huh. and then like a scene later the stage is done up like a tavern and there's lots of revelry and then streamers and sawdust and everything and like mm. by the end of the first act the stage is trashed uh, mm. like <laughs> it is a complete mess uh, and the interval is basically 
someone just sweeping up the stage and cleaning it uh, for the start of the second half. Uh, and it was like, it was that uh, which kind of mm. cemented in me like a real love of this dramatic, like of dramatic opera. Mm. Mm. That's super cool. Gosh, I think we're going to take a break on all of those musings. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what a good opera is. I want to find out more about John Giovanni. I always thought that it was a romance, but apparently not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll be back in just a second. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome back. All right, so that was a really comprehensive breakdown of what you think makes a good opera, Anil. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> we'll come back to Don Giovanni. <laughs> 
Katie, what are your thoughts? It's interesting what both Larry and Anna are saying. I kind of agree, but actually some of my favourite operas are some of the later ones in the late 19th century and the 20th century, which have plots around real life. Mm. Oh, there's a special word for like opera realism or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I should have gone and read the Wikipedia article before this, so I look like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I didn't, so don't you worry. <laughs> but I, I do think the same applies because although they might be looking at real life, they're trying to bring that sense of epicness to it. Mm. And maybe that's what I like. Maybe as a a very emotional person, a very political kind of person, I feel actually ordinary people's lives deserve that level of of attention and deserve to be given an epic stage to be played out on and for for, for wonderful music to be underlining what they're going through. Mm. So, yeah, you mentioned La Traviata. I actually think that once you dig into the ridiculous plot, Mm. actually there's some really important stuff there about at the end of the 19th century, what it is to be a woman and can you have any power Mm. and can you have any kind of agency or ownership over your own life, you know? Mm. Same goes for Carmen. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, And so although it's ridiculous, it allows you another way to look at, like, the human experience. Mm. And, you know, that's not to decry the fantastical ones, which I adore as well. (laughs) But I think that element is in there. I think that's actually, that became a really important part of what opera is over the centuries as as it developed and that became a really important thing that it was trying to do mm. or at least the composers were trying to do I don't know if the audiences were that bothered <laughs> but the, the you know the librettists and the composers were trying to do it <laughs> yeah no I get that because like it, those, those are issues that show up in like Lab OM uh, exactly which yeah. like modern audiences might might know better as Rent um, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's an interesting one yeah yeah and the transition of operas to musicals uh, yeah has been a long-standing one but yeah no I, I very much get that like taking those issues and such and and adding that that extra layer to them uh, yeah would have been like some of the best ways to get those messages across at the time uh. mm. yeah i mean art usually is mm. it's always a really can be a really useful way to communicate about stuff that's happening yeah and i mean that like in every single kind of art that we have including comedy mm. i might even go so far as to say including podcasts, but we shan't, we shan't toot our own horns. <laughs> Dear listeners, you can, uh, for the judges of that. Yes. <laughs> Digital hashtag content. <laughs> so in my head, Don Giovanni was like a tragic romance in which Giovanni was like some love-struck kid and like trying to get married or something. No. And then dies at the end. Not quite. He does die at the end, to be fair. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how he dies? Uh, beheaded. Do you know what? I don't. I don't think I've ever seen it. Really? I don't know anything about this story. So, yeah, Don Giovanni is, uh, like, he's a love-struck womanizer. He, he is a young nobleman uh, uh-huh. who basically wants to cut his way through, like, swathes of Italian noblewomen. Uh, and all the rest. Oh, dear. But the story is for this one is that he fixates on Don Anna, and spends like most of the the production trying to trying to woo her and such. Obviously, she has feelings for him as well. But there's mm. whole bunch of like political stuff and uh, and things around it. But at the end, he is confronted with a final decision: uh, give up your womanizing ways uh, or pay the price. Uh. Oh. 
Oh. He refuses to uh, and is dragged to hell. Uh, oh. uh, it's actually oh. kind of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Done in the like the the Uber traditional versions. Like you would have choruses of demons and such just like wandering around mm. waiting for him to to make this fun thing. Because it's like there's a lot of supernatural elements to, to this. Uh, mm. It gets kind of horrific. Uh, like because some of the some of the um schemers uh, start to worry about like are they doing the right thing and, and, and things like that but yeah wow. the final decision is that he is dragged off to hell because he refuses to repent or recant oh my God. his ways that's uh, the ending of quite a lot of operas isn't it or have I yeah. just seen that scene from Don Giovanni a lot <laughs> really it's not the ending but it should be because there's this interminable final scene where everybody yes. sort of discusses it for a long time it's just it really the energy curve just drops off it's <laughs> yeah to be fair i think in the production i saw they shortened that a lot uh, uh, because it's also got the wedding of don anna to her actual fiance mm, uh okay. like after a year of mourning or something like that uh, mm. and the father being uh, like all uh, all is well and good and, and things like that but yeah there is a fair bit of mol- moralizing after that but as i say the eno production cut a lot of that out if i remember correctly uh-huh. um, uh but yeah <laughs> now i want to ask i want to ask the big question which is can we talk about the phantom of the opera <laughs> <laughs> yeah that and the marriage and figure are my two links to opera that is all i basically know about it mm-hmm. well phantom of the opera is not a opera in any way shape or form <laughs> I, I know it's not but it's about an opera and therefore it is valid for this episode it is i actively dislike the phantom of the opera (laughs) really why i really i just think christine and raul are two of the most selfish people in the world (laughs) and like i just hate it and that's why like i had a friend who was in it and i went to see it and i was like you were brilliant i hated it (laughs) (laughs) though i do love the song masquerade yes oh that's a great song yeah i don't disagree with you in the slightest like (laughs) as a story phantom of the opera is not is not a great story like it Mm. it, it doesn't it doesn't really help anybody or or put anybody in a very good light Uh, Mm, yeah that said i do enjoy the music from it Uh, as you say masquerade is a great song and obviously it giving sarah brightman like showcasing her range uh, as a young star and also i have a I, I really don't know why, or and I probably shouldn't. I have a great deal of affection for the last Phantom of the Opera film. With Gerard Butler? Yes. Mm. Uh, that was my first exposure to Phantom of the Opera. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Loved it. And it's like, because it is a big, over-the-top production of it, it, it has a lot of those hallmarks uh, mm. that I like about opera. Mm. And it put them into... It showcased it on the on the big screen, and yeah, as I say, I probably shouldn't like it because there are a lot of problematic elements to the Phantom of the Opera. Mm. Oh, a hell of a lot, yeah. Awful message, but <laughs> it is enjoyable. Uh, mm. I will say, I always hated Raoul. Mm. <laughs> I was like, he is such a boring so and so. Yeah. Always though, I just remember there being a moment where he is like trying to convince Christine to do something really dangerous when he should be doing the opposite. And she yeah. does something as well. I was like, I hate you both. I hate you both. 
so angry. My fun fact, though, about that film, the guy who plays Raul went on to be a massive, well, not massive, but he's in several horror franchises now. He's in the Conjuring Universe franchise Ah. as Ed Warren. And he was in Insidious as whatever his name was, the dad (laughs) in Insidious. So I actually associate him more with horror now than with... (laughs) with, But it's so weird to think back and see, oh yeah, he can sing actually. And he does sing in the Conjuring Enfield Poltergeist film. Got a nice little guitar, sings to the kids. It's very sweet. Anyway, (laughs) Patrick Wilson, that's his name. Katie, yes. how accurate do you think Phantom of the Opera is in portraying what opera is like? <laughs> I don't know a lot about Phantom of the Opera. I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, have you not seen it? No, I haven't. I gather from what you were saying that Raoul is a uh, tenor. Yes. Yes. Why are they all like that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, in Phantom of the Opera, Christine is like the understudy. She's the ingenue. Yeah, the ingenue. Yeah. yeah. And there's a scary man who lives beneath the opera building right. who falls in love with her and starts giving her singing lessons and then poisons, well not, not exactly poisons, but he puts something in the the main soprano's Carlotta. drink. Oh, right, to give her a, her big break sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. La Carlotta so that she can't sing properly and so christine has to step up and show off and like then gets like loads of the major parts Uh. he threatens to kill everyone if they don't give christine the main role right it's not just like he's like you have to make it christine i mean yeah that comes a little bit later at first it's just a bit of trickery (laughs) then he threatens to he threatens to kill everyone unless they put on his special opera that he's yeah. written for him and Christine mm, to star nah. in, which is very sexy. There's a... <laughs> God. Oh, yes. Past the point of no return. Yeah, oh, sure. actually, that is a great song. Yeah, that is a great song. And that's the thing. It's like the, the film has a very good version of Past the Point of No Return. Uh, mm, yes. Gosh. Oh, God. Do I still remember any of the lyrics? No, I don't. I just remember. <laughs> Pass the point of no return. Badam, badam. <laughs> and it's so scary. All this, like, oh, it's so great. And they're, they're like on top of this like scaffolding. Yeah. And she's like got this sort of flamenco type dress. Again, one of the formative scenes from my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely terrifying and very sexy scene. Anyway, the Phantom of the Opera wants Christine to basically run away with him and live underneath the opera house in a, in a cave. Okay. I mean, it's Paris. It's beneath the opera relais. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it a specific opera house? I didn't yes. know. I thought it was just a fictional one. No, no, no. It is the primary Parisian opera house. Mm. Like, I made a special point of going to see it mm. when I got to Paris very early on in the year I was living there. Because mm. this, is, this is an iconic piece of musical architecture yeah yeah it is just as grand as, uh, as as it is depicted i suspect that they probably did use the actual opera house in the film but i don't know for certain hmm. oh yes i forgot to say as well so the fact of the opera he always wears a mask mm-hmm. because he has a scarred face yeah does he does he sing in this mask sorry just to clarify yeah it's a very conveniently half mask that leaves his nose and mouth oh one of those ones gotcha <laughs> yeah it's kind of like over over his eyes and half of his face but doesn't obscure the mouth uh, yes that's creepy because <laughs> it was michael crawford who originated yeah. the role yeah. in the west end uh, yeah oh dear my popular culture knowledge is so bad 
I mean, Katie, I don't think this is popular culture knowledge. No. I'm, I'm not sure this okay. is quite well. <laughs> Many of us will probably remember Michael Crawford Moore as uh, Frank Spencer in Some Mothers Do Have Them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Uh, whereas he is actually a very big like star of musicals. I mm. had absolutely no idea. Mm. He was in Half a Sixpence as well, right? I believe so. Is like, that he's done a lot. Yeah. Uh, Good for him. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, the Phantom ends up dying because Christine betrays him and Aww. decides to go back to Raoul. It's a bit ungrateful, really, isn't it? <laughs> mm. We're coming to time, so I'm going to ask you a really difficult question to round us off with, which is, if you were to recommend an opera to someone <gasps> to see for the first time, mm. what would be, like, like your starter's opera to get someone interested in it? Oh, my goodness. I have two answers. One is a bit of a cheat. And the more we've been talking, the more I realise that I know a lot of songs and pieces from opera and I haven't watched that many because I always listen to like compilation CDs. So I think getting a compilation CD, they're probably going to be like the really famous ones. But Mm. if you listen to a compilation, you will realise, oh, I actually do know a lot of this because it's Mm. used so much in like advertising or in TV and film and things like that. And that's quite a nice way to find out what you like. In terms of an opera, I think my favourite could be different at any given time, but Mm -hmm. one that has stayed with me for so, so long and I keep coming back to is Carmen. I just love it. Mm -hmm. It's so romantic and passionate and (laughs) uh, I I love it. So I would highly recommend and you will know if if you're going to know any operatic songs, you will know a few Mm. from Carmen. There are some real bangers in there that are (laughs) like really popular. Carmen's the one with the red dress, right? And she yes. has a red yes. flower in her hair. Yeah, it's very sexy. Mm. If, actually, Helen, if you haven't listened to Carmen or watched it, I think you'd enjoy it. It's a very sexy yeah. opera. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. It's very good. It's probably why I like it, actually. I saw a production of that at the Albert Hall where it performed in the round. Oh, wow. And it ended up with, they'd built like a pillar where the stage usually is. Uh, mm, mm. And it's like common throughout the opera is like dancing around in the round and then making away and you slowly edging away up to towards that pillar and at the end of the the show and that Can I ask for no spoilers though for people yeah. who Okay, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> for the final scene, mm. we let, let's say. <laughs> I can guess. <laughs> Considering what I know about operas, which is not much. <laughs> What about you, Katie? What would you recommend? Oh, man. It depends what you want. Yeah. (laughs) Can I give a number of responses? Yeah. (laughs) Go on then. Go on then. I want to hear what you're going to say. Okay. (laughs) So the ones which are often recommended as being quite accessible, with like really good tunes and really fun to watch, are The Marriage of Figaro. Mm. And then quite a few of the Puccini ones. Labo M's often mentioned Mm -hmm. because um, that's very colourful and it's got good tunes. And yeah, it's it's larger than life. But I would say, depending on what you're into, Mm. there are some others that you might want to check out. If you want something a bit more up to date, I I would look at John Adams again, actually. Maybe the one that's made the biggest impression on me in the last 15 years has been Dr. Atomic, which is the one about the Manhattan Project and Oppenheimer. Really, really, really enjoyed that, even the first time I watched it. Or you could look at it's a weird one to recommend, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's it's one of the off the wall ones. There's one opera in the world which is based on a comic book or a comic story, a comic strip, wow. and that is the Cunning Little Vixen by Janacek. Oh, oh, I've heard of that. Uh... My singing teacher was in that. 
Oh, yeah. I really like Yana Sheik's music. It's kind of early 20th century um, or 20th century. Mm. But it's for me, it's got a big, strong atmosphere. And the themes are all about nature, really, and like life cycles and mortality wow. and all that sort of thing. And I, I, I really enjoy that. So, as I say, yeah, coming into this as like the the more casual opera viewers, like mm. in terms of like accessibility, mm. we've we've talked about Gilbert and Sullivan and operettas, and mm. they are definitely catchy, mm. and they are definitely some of the easiest ways to get into the format. Mm. One I would say that hasn't been already mentioned is the Barbara Seville. because it's very fun mm. and it's easy, like it's very easy to grasp the plot. I would say, at least from my perspective, the comic operas tend to be easier to get into as an entry mm. pointer mm. because the plots are more straightforward mm-hmm. and you can more readily grasp nuances that you might not in something that is a bit more dramatic or a bit more tense. Uh, mm. One I will say that I, not uh, if, we, if we're doing, let's not do this one as your first <laughs> opera, Berlioz is the Trojans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, again, this was a production I saw at the ENO. Uh, mm-hmm. It is usually performed in two parts uh, over consecutive nights uh, in repertory. Yeah. Mm. I saw a full production of it. Oh, no. It is four and a half hours long. Wow. Plus about an hour or so of intervals. Oh, and the main reason for the main reason for that for it being done this way at the ENO was that the big break was so that they could build a battleship on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's epic. Because <laughs> it's effectively trying to tell the whole story of the Trojan War. Oh, that's a rough one to try and... Not not so much the Trojan War, the aftermath of the Trojan War. So from the fall of Troy to basically most of what happens in the Aeneid. Mm. So it's about Aeneas and Dido. Uh, that's still mm. a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very dense. Yeah. It was great visually but i couldn't tell you really what happened in the plot without like (laughs) i know the iniad and i still wouldn't be able to tell you but what i would say is there are a lot of operas which are said to be like this is the best thing that a given composer has done Mm. they are not necessarily the the best way to get get into the genre or get into or get an appreciation for what that composer can do it's a case of building up to it mm. uh, fair enough i'm going to be really cheeky i'm sorry and i want to put a shout out for deflated mouse which is actually mm-hmm. i think to be credited because that's an operetta mm. and it's such a fun romp mm. <laughs> cool well on those recommendations we're gonna have to finish the episode Aww. oh this is so cool to talk about because i don't know anything yeah. about opera i've learned so much thank you Listener, I hope you have also enjoyed this and maybe you'll also be checking out some operas later on. I hope you do. I will see you in the next episode. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from all of them. Do you want to say goodbye, everyone? Goodbye. Goodbye. Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 4.0 International License. It is directed by Helen Gould, produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing, Tessa Vroom, Jeffrey Nils Gardner and Catherine Ranella. 
Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later.